chapter 24, verses 34 to 38, 42 to 49, 58 to 67. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become wealthy. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female slaves, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and he has given him all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. But you shall go to my father's house, to my kindred, and get a wife for my son. I came today from the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you only make successful the way I am going. I am standing here by the spring of water. Let the young woman who comes out to draw, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will also water your camels. So I drank, and she also watered the camels. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has led me by the right way to obtain the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you will deal loyally and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, so I may turn either to the right hand or to the left. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will. So they sent away their sister Rebekah and her nurse along with Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of myriads. May your offspring gain possession of the gates of their foes. Then Rebekah and her maids rose up, mounted the camels, and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahirai and was settled in the Nagab. Isaac went out in the evening to walk in the field, and looking up, he saw camels coming. And Rebekah looked up, and when he saw Isaac, she slipped quietly from the camel and said to the servant, Who is the man over there walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master's. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her to his mother Sarah's tent. He took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. please to pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O God, thou our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Think of a time in your life when someone has said something to you or done something for you that made a huge difference in your life, shaped the course of your life, And then later on, you found out they barely remembered it happened. To them, it was just nothing. 
One of those examples in my own life came when I was 26 years old. I had been working at Northwestern University in the Division of Continuing Education for over four years, and I just had a deep sense that God was calling me to do social justice work. And I thought that what God wanted me to do was start working in some nonprofit in Chicago. So I interviewed and interviewed, and nothing was happening. And I was really struggling. I, you know, it, it's, these things mess with you. I, any of you who've gone through job loss or unemployment know what I'm talking about. You know, I, people thought I was fairly competent at my previous job, and now I was just, nothing was opening up. And I went, to, I was invited to breakfast at the home of a wonderful couple from my church, and I can still picture their kitchen, and we ate at the kitchen table, and they made pancakes. And I just remember this long conversation with pancakes and tea and talking over options. And, and I just happened to mention, well, you know, I have thought about doing some kind of overseas service at some point. But then I kind of went off onto other things, where you're talking about all these different things. And at one point, as I remember it, the man and the couple, Bob Hostetter, looked at me and he said, Jane, if you want to do overseas service, do it now. You are 26, you are not married, you do not have children. If you don't do it now, later on your life will be more complicated. This is the time to do it. And it wasn't as if it was decided that day, but it was like a door opened. And all these different things fell into place, which led to my applying to the mission intern program through our United Methodist Global Board, you know, Board of Global Ministries, which led to my serving in Jerusalem in the Palestinian Christian community for a year and a half, and then back in Staten Island with Methodist Federation for Social Action. But it started with a pancake breakfast in a kitchen. And years later, I ran into Bob Hostetter. We'd lost track of each other. And I said, Bob, that, that morning with you and your wife, that changed my life. And he said, what? <laughs> and I said, no, really? You know, what you said, he didn't, he remembered the breakfast. He didn't even remember the conversation. But my life was changed. What I'm describing in my life has happened, I bet, to every one of you. And it's happened to you multiple times. Those funny moments, the thing that feels like the slightest thing that shifts everything. The person who invited you to a party and it ended up that at that party you met your spouse or the friend at school where you were new in a class and another child befriended you and that person turned out to be your best friend. And who would have thought that day, the first day in Mrs. So-and-so's class in third grade, who would have known that that person would become a lifelong friend? Or the person who just happens to mention about a job that's opening up and that perks your interest and suddenly you go in that direction. All these little things happen in our lives that are part of how God works in us to move us to a different place. And yet at the time it may have been a very small thing and the person involved may have felt like nothing happened. So I want you to keep thinking about the times that that's happened in your life, and if it's happened in your life, you also have done it for others. When's the time you were the one who introduced someone, who invited, who welcomed? Today we hear a story, and, and Anne read it to us from the children's book, and Earl read us, believe me, this is the much shortened version. It's a 65-verse chapter. It's 
very repetitive. <laughs> so Earl gave you the greatest hits. But this long passage about Abraham's desire for his son Isaac to receive a wife from his own people, not one of the women in Canaan, but back, back home where he came from. And it's a story with all sorts of detail in it, but I want, what I want to focus on today is in a certain ways how normal and homey it is and how for most of us, that's how God works most of the time. Yes, we have these powerful stories of Moses in the burning bush and the powerful story of the parting of the Red Sea and we have Jesus on the cross. We have these very dramatic stories in our faith. But a lot of how God works day to day is in very quiet ways with quietly faithful people, like the people who bless us and like us sometimes. We hear in that story that the servant has been sent to go back home, and he takes all these camels with him with the assumption that he'll be bringing back home to Canaan an entourage. So imagine him, and, he, and he's got some people with him, and all these camels, they travel this long distance. He thinks he's in the right place, and please, God of my master Abraham, please let... Let someone come to this well, and please let her be a relative of Abraham's. And this lovely young woman comes to the well, and he approaches her, and before he explains who he is, she offers him water, and she offers to water all his camels. And imagine watering 10 camels with like a pitcher. We're not talking, there's no pump here. There's no gushing pipe full of water. This is a woman who has a profound sense of hospitality. And he senses in her, this is the kind of woman I would want for my master's son. He explains who he is. He explains his mission. And he gives her jewelry that had come from Abraham for that purpose. She accepts the jewelry, and she takes him home to be introduced. This kind of... How would she be at the well at that moment? How would he come to that well? This is God working out God's purposes in God's desire to save the world through the descendants of Abraham. Abraham had gotten very old. His son Isaac was mature. Isaac was not yet married. And Abraham knew that if this line of Abraham's was going to continue... Abraham, like, things needed to happen. <laughs> Isaac needed a wife, and so he sent his servant to do it. We assume that Abraham was too old to undertake the mission. And we don't know this, but it's very clear. Abraham does not want his son to go back to Abraham's homeland. Now, remember, Isaac was born in Canaan. This isn't, Canaan's home. This isn't Isaac's homeland. But Abraham and Sarah and Isaac live in an area where they are strangers among the Hittite people. And I'm guessing back home is a lot more comfortable. <laughs> I'm guessing Abraham's worried that if his son goes back to his homeland, he'll never go back to Canaan. And that's what Abraham has promised. And so the servant goes. And we never even learn the servant's name. The servant carries out the task. Rebecca responds with generosity. And at the end of the story... There is Rebecca going back with the servant. And when she sees Isaac, she doesn't know that that's Isaac, but she jumps off her camel. She's pleased by what she sees. And 
she goes into him and is married. I want to focus with you on Rebecca and servant and the servant as two different ways that God works. One of the ways that God works is through Rebecca, who is an insider, a family member. Think of her as a church member. And she's just going about what she always does. You are a beautiful congregation. And you are a community of people who go about and do what you always do, and you bless people, and you don't even realize what a blessing you are most of the time. That's what Rebecca was. Rebecca went to the water because, went to the well because women went and drew the well, and when a guest came, she offered him hospitality because in her mind, that's what you do. And not only to the person, but also to the person's camels. It's just what you do. If you asked Rebecca about what she did at the well, she would say, I didn't do anything special. I think about dear Emily DiLonardo, whom we miss. And I think about her knitting ministry, making shawls and making prayer squares. And it's just what she did. But I wish you could see the looks on the faces of people when we gave them those shawls and those prayer squares. For some people, that's what got them through a hospitalization. For some people, that's what got them through a bereavement process, to be able to wrap the shawl around them and to feel the prayers of the church, or to be able to hold a prayer square and carry it with them, and you know, for a man to reach into his pocket and feel that prayer square and remember, oh, that's right, I'm being prayed for. When you work in just very simple ways, what those God-given ways that are your calling through your baptism, and you think it's nothing. You're changing the course of other people's lives. This is how God works. We get too caught up in drama and look for the dramatic things, and we miss those chances of the simple ways that someone in church, someone from the community, blesses us. So I'm going to do something different because it's part of the pleasure of this smaller setting. Who here would like to tell, I want a brief one, but a brief story about how someone did something very small and it changed your life? It can be someone in this church, it could be someone from another church, but it does need to be a church person because I'll give you another chance later on. When did a church person invite you someplace or do something for you that they thought was nothing? And for you, it was a really big deal. Sandra. Sandra shared that there was a time she was in distress, and she called Janet Baker, and she didn't even know Janet Baker very well, but Janet could hear something in her voice, and she immediately came over to Sandra's house to help. Exactly. Thank you. What else? Jed. We're very glad of that. Jed is sharing about a mentor of his in college, and correct me if I heard any of this incorrectly, but a mentor of yours in college, and you were talking with him about options, and you'd kind of been thinking you'd go to Chicago to work. Jed is an architect. You'd been thinking about going to work uh, in Chicago, and as you talked it through with your mentor, your mentor said, you know, I think you should go back to Rockford. And uh, you have, and you've been here working as an architect, you said, 20 years? 
And, and what a blessing that's been. And kind of probably for the mentor, it was just an offhand comment, but it changed things. Yes. Oh, what a great story. And, and, oh, Hilda Bain, yeah. Um, I wasn't getting the last name and now I've got it. Uh, Mark is sharing a one. See, I knew. <laughs> I was going to stand up here and tell my stories and I thought, don't hog the floor. <laughs> Mark is sharing that when he went to college in Missouri, it was really culture shock for him. You know, you're used to Rockford and it was a very... Uh, isolated rural community and not the good fit for you, and that Bob and Hilda Bain had gone to visit friends near where that college was. Uh, they were nearby, so they came and, and visited you at college and picked you up and took Mark back to that friend's house for dinner and uh, you know, then took you back to the college. And when they got back home, they called uh, Jim and Carolyn and said, you got to go get him. He's not in the right place. And, and you know, I, many of you parents have struggled with, gee, do we bring our kid home from college? Do we have him stick it out? And, and the Bain's intercession for you helped the right thing happen. And I, but that's a beautiful story. And again, the Bains would have said, that's what you do. You, you know, you, someone's in college, you go visit them. It's just what you do. Thank you. Yeah, Sully. Bob, are you Sully's son? Was that about Lee? <laughs> what a great story. And was Lee a church girl? That's what I thought. <laughs> so Sully is telling about how he went into the service right after high school, and then when he returned from the service, he enrolled in SIU. He'd been out of school for four years. He had to take an algebra class. <sighs> what does he know about math after four years of military, you know, after your time of military service? You were uh, assigned to go up to a blackboard and, and solve a problem. You didn't know what to do. And a lovely young woman next to you said, hey, do you need some help? And helped him with that. And they walked out, and that turned out to be Lee, later on Lee Sullivan. <laughs> so what? 65 years. What I love about these stories is God was working in these quiet ways. And... For the person, I mean, Lee was just being helpful because that's who Lee was. You know, I mean, they wouldn't say they were doing anything special. Now, I want to shift gears to the servant because this is an interesting one too. Sorry, I don't mean to my back to you, Earl. It, it, the, the servant, we don't even know the servant's name. The servant isn't considered an insider in the story. He's just fulfilling his master's job, and his master is Abraham. In fact, when he prays, he doesn't pray to God. He says, the God of my master Abraham. Now, we don't know. Does that mean that he doesn't consider it his God? He sure prays a lot for someone who doesn't consider it his God. Or does he think he's not good enough? Well, maybe you're the God of Abraham, but you would, wouldn't be my God. I, I don't know. I will say as a pastor, one of the things I hear it over and over again is I meet these really neat people out in the community who are not involved in church, and almost to a person, they'll say, oh, if I ever walked in, lightning would strike. <laughs> How many times do we hear, oh, if I went to church? And I wonder if those are the people who think that couldn't be my God. 
That's, that's the God of Jane. That's the God of Richard. That's the God of these church people, but that wouldn't be my God. And what we know is, of course, this is your God. This is the God who loves you, who desires good and healing and wholeness for you. You're not, not good enough for God. But think about the people who, like the servant, carried out God's will and weren't part of a faith community. This is, a, this is a complex issue. This is one we struggle with sometimes as Christians. But throughout the Hebrew scriptures, there are stories of salvation happening from faithful Jews. But there are also stories of non-Jews who bring about God's will. And one of the most dramatic examples of that is after the Babylonian exile. The, you know, the temple had been destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar had taken the, the elites back to Babylon. And they were held in captivity there for over 50 years. And God used a Persian, Cyrus of Persia, to come take over the Babylonians, and free the Jews. And we have all these passages in Isaiah about my servant Cyrus. Was Cyrus Jewish? No, Cyrus was Zoroastrian. God uses people beside those of the insider faith. So when have you been blessed by someone who was part of another faith tradition? Or when have you been blessed by someone who wasn't part of any faith tradition? but they were part of the story of how your life moved along. So it may take a little more thinking, but maybe not. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Gail's telling a story about when she was 12 and had to have surgery on a salivary stone, and she had to be at Methodist Hospital in Peoria overnight all by herself and, you know, not in a church connection, uh, and she was really scared, you know, understandably, 12-year-old girl in the hospital at night by herself, and one of the nurses was so kind and said, Gail, I'm right here, you don't need to be scared, and, and that was the beginning of Gail's calling for nursing, which you continue to live out so beautifully. It's beautiful. Right, we don't know anything about that nurse's background or situation, but her kindness put you on a different direction. Yes, Melinda. Yeah. Yeah. Melinda's telling a story of when she was newly married and, and moved to... Now, was St. Louis the move? That was the new place? Yeah, you were moving a lot. So... But moving, moving new places with her new husband had gone from her parents' house to the, with her new husband, and it was just a lot, and you were feeling afraid. You'd gone to the restroom with a group of women, you were out uh, at a restaurant together, and a woman you didn't know just had heard, heard you speak in this way, came up to you, put her hand on you, and said, just looking at you, I can tell. You're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And that word of comfort made a difference for you. Yeah, you believed her. Yeah, what else? I, I shared this in our study group. One of my best preaching professors was Hindu. And <laughs> how's that for a what? Um, but in my 40s, in my early 40s, I was dating a man who was Hindu, and I cannot tell you how wonderful it was to 
explain to him what my sermon was going to be because he didn't know the background. He was such a gift. You couldn't assume he knew anything. So he'd say, well, Gene, what are you going to preach on? And, and I'd realize, oh, I've got to explain this. And his name was Cyrus. And, you know, Cyrus doesn't know this. He does, oh, okay, I've got to think about that. And it was such a help because I've tended to be, you know, I'm the little Christian girl who has been that all along and never stopped being that and, you know, had this very insider life in a lot of ways. And Cyrus was such a gift to me to train me in how to talk about Jesus in simpler ways that aren't the insider ways. And so, yeah, he was my Hindu preaching professor. He was a wonderful gift to me in, uh, in thinking through explaining some of those things more simply. Well, I just thank you for this time of reflection. Thank you for indulging me in that. But I just, I know this is a beautiful story of how God worked in just a woman going to the well. Did Rebecca have any idea that that day was going to be the day that she would meet uh, the person who would take her to her husband? She had no idea. She just was going to the well. Today, God could do something through another person for you. God could do something through you for another person that changes that person's life. May we trust God and trust that God is working out God's purposes through all types of people, the insiders like Rebecca or the outsiders like the servant, people we don't even know their name like the woman in the restroom and like our servant. But God is working to bring about wholeness and healing, to invite people into saving relationship um, and that can happen to you today. It can happen through you today. Thanks be to God. Amen.